You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. All right. Well, it's a new year, 2023. How's it been so far? It's been okay, been good. I saw some like very slow nodding, like, hmm, yes, yes, it is a new year, isn't it? Um, TBD, right, that's right, that's right. Um, man, well, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being a part of the family. All I was going to say uh, before was we try to be this, we know family in our, in our own individual human lives has all kinds of connotations, right? So they're not always uh, good. They're not all, the, many times they're very, very complicated. But here in this place, uh, we're not perfect. We're flawed people, but we try to be a family as God intended, God designed. So I'm so glad. Uh, and when I heard all the talking going on this morning downstairs, I just, it just was like my family's here. It, it like warmed my heart. And so thank you for being here. Um, I just want to say one thing before I jump into the message. Actually, I already said one thing, so I'm going to say another thing. Um, February 5th, first Sunday of February, I want you to um, get out your favorite sparkly marker and circle it on your calendar and stick all kinds of stickers around it because I want you to be here February 5th at 10.30 a.m. We are going to celebrate the mission's 10-year anniversary, and uh, it's going to be incredible. I, 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 I mean, I'm not saying it's a foam party, but you have to come and find out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's not. But we are going to do all kinds of celebrating. We are going to sing some celebratory songs. We're going to have some dessert. We're gonna, there's going to be a really awesome like photo booth. Like This is going to be a party that you don't want to miss. So I want to personally invite you to be here on the 5th at 1030. I want you to come party with us. And that goes for you, all the people online as well. Even if you haven't been here in months and months, or maybe you've never been here, come on the 5th at 1030. We want you here. We want you to come celebrate with us. Um, yeah, 10 years. That's something. And, and uh, to be honest, the, the mission, had, it, I'm going to talk about it on the anniversary more, but in its 10 years, uh, the mission has experienced as a church uh, many, many uh, accounts of pain. And uh, we've been through some things uh, in our 10 years as a church um, and uh, COVID was the most recent thing. Um, and I was painful for everybody, not just churches, you know. Um, and so what I know about people is when pain hits, you discover who you really are. When pain hits, the truth comes out. When pain hits, we figure out what you actually say you believe versus what you actually believe. And that's where we're going today. We've been in this series called Making Space. And uh, I keep like calling it Trading Spaces in my head. Who remembers that show? 
right? I'm dating myself by, the, by saying that, but in my, I have to tell myself, don't call it trading spaces. It's making space, right? And so, um, <laughs> uh, but we've been in this series since the new year, and God really set us on this trajectory. On the first Sunday of the month, we met together, our family-style service, and we worshiped, and we basically just opened it up to pray for each other, take communion, and we just created space for God to move. And we really felt like the agenda for the morning was just to open up space for God to encounter Jesus. And that is the, and that's kind of translated into this series. And, uh, and the Lord has really set us on this track. And this is like my third, um, third or fourth Sunday speaking in a row. And you might be thinking like, yo, what happened to the teaching team? I like some of them better. Like, uh, they're, they're, um, they're, they're all around. They're still here. Nobody's put the kibosh on the, um, is that a word? Is that how you say that? Kibosh. Okay. Uh, nobody's put the kibosh. Kibosh. I don't know. All right. Um, on the teaching team, everybody's just busy in January, you know, like holidays and stuff. So, so, but the Lord really opened the door for this series, making space to encounter Jesus. And, and so, um, so we've been going at it for a couple weeks now. In the first week, if you missed it, we talked about, man, are we busy as a society? Who's busy in their life? Who finds themselves saying, I'm so busy, I'm so tired. If I have one more appointment, I'm going to scream. Yes. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, I know, I know, right? And, and, and like we are so busy, not to mention overstimulated. Like we are so overstimulated as a society. Like, like I, I, I notice it sometimes within myself at home. Like, like there's a rare moment of quiet, and what do I do? What is my knee-jerk reaction? Is to fill that quiet with something. Fill it with music, or fill it with TV, or scrolling through visual noise, like Instagram, or whatever, you know? Um, the kid, I think the kids are on TikTok these days. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm old, but... Um, but there's such a thing as visual noise as well. And so, like, we are so busy, so overstimulated as a society that it can be really easy to get, to get um, into the habit of just going to God when we need something. It can be so easy to forget about our relationship with God until we need something from him right? And so, like, he's always there. He's always ready to, even in that circumstance, like, like, when we turn to God and ask him for something, he's gracious, and he loves us, right? But there's so much more to a relationship with God than that, right? And, and we can go um, to God in prayer and list all the things we want and need, and, and that's completely fine, and we need to do that, right? There's space for that, for sure, but we also need to make space to encounter the voice of Jesus in our everyday lives, and we can't encounter the voice of Jesus if we are the ones always talking, who has a friend that you can't get an e word, no, don't raise your hand, you can't get a wor word in edgewise, Right? Don't be that friend with Jesus, right? Jesus is close, the, the friend that's closer than a brother, right? 
And, and he wants to speak into your lives daily. And, and Elijah, when he went up on the mountain, he, you know, there were all kinds of things going on around him, but the voice of God was still and small, right? It, it was a still, small voice. Uh, God spoke to Moses in a tent, and the Bible says that God spoke to Moses like a friend, like a friend, right? And, and repeatedly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus go off alone, making space to be with God, right? So when people talk about encountering Jesus, I've said this a couple of times, but I really want you to grab this, right? When people talk about encountering Jesus, lots of, lots of people think it has to be this big, dramatic, you know, wind and fire and, you know, like all the other things that Elijah saw on the mountain, right? Um, it has to be dramatic, but like Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul, the apostle Paul was blinded by Jesus and stayed blind for three days, right? They think encountering Jesus has to be this big dramatic deal, and more often than not, God encounters us in the still, small voice that leaves us with the feeling in our hearts, we're not our hearts burning within us. We're not our hearts burning within us, right? And uh, I think lots of times we are just too busy, too preoccupied, too distracted to recognize the voice of Jesus right? And so that was the first week. Now, I want to talk a little bit about last week, and I'm going to give you some of the points from last week because our live stream crashed in the middle of it, so that meant we have no podcast, no live stream. So for those who missed last week, I just want to do a quick recap of last week. So we did making space to encounter Jesus in the scriptures, Right, making space to encounter Jesus in the scriptures. And through the scriptures is how God communicates most frequently. But to discern the voice of God through the Bible, we need to learn how to read it in two ways. Two ways. One, we need to read the Bible with our heads. Everybody point to your head. Caitlin, you're not pointing. <laughs> we need to read the Bible with our heads, right? So what does that mean, read the Bible with our heads? Meaning that we need to remove our emotional bias from the equation as much as possible and read it within context. Read it within context, right? Uh, taking into account who the original author was, what the current culture was like for the original author at the time and who specifically the author is writing to, right? This process is called exegesis, which we talked about last week. Exegesis is Greek for to lead out. You let the text and the original meaning of the text lead, right? That's called exegesis. This is the practice of studying the Bible with our heads, right? Asking ourselves, what is the original God-inspired intent of the text by the author and written to the original audience, right? That's exegesis. But 
That isn't the only way we need, we, we need to read the Bible. That's, part of, that's half the equation. Uh, we also need to read the Bible with our hearts. Everybody point to your heart. I'm watching, Caitlin. We need to read the Bible with our hearts. And, and this, for this process, we're going to use the word hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is Greek for interpretation. Taking the meaning of the original Bible text and applying it to a modern situation. Lots of people talk about hermeneutics as the glasses that you read the Bible through, right? Um, it, you know, you can, look, you can put on the glasses of historical fact and read the Bible as a history book, right? You can, what is the glasses that you are reading the Bible through? And, he, and, and here is um, an example, like, there is a type of hermeneutics that all of us really um, this is how we should, you know, you can read the Bible in other ways, but the primary way we need to interact with the Bible and hermeneutics is called Christology, Christology. And that means we read all of the Bible through the lens of the light, life of Jesus, right? So we don't, here's the thing, so we don't, uh, we don't read the Apostle Paul and try to filter Jesus through the Apostle Paul. We filter what the Apostle Paul says through Jesus, through what Jesus has said. Lots of, you know, um, and so this is really, really important, is that we filter the Bible through Christology, through Christ, right? All of it. And, and you may be saying, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. He's all over the Old Testament. He's not in human form or anything, but he is there. He is present. There are all kinds of examples. And uh, so we filter what we read through the Bible, through the Gospels and the life that Jesus lived. That's Christology. And so hermeneutics is the is the art of translating, tra translating um, our historical context, the author and the audience and the culture, into a modern-day translation. That's, that's hermeneutics. And uh, um, so that's, that's hermeneutics. But here's the thing. Um, but to do translation appropriately, to do hermeneutics appropriately, we need to practice good hermeneutics. But good hermeneutics first requires good exegesis. So, so you can't translate before you know the context. And so all that to say, read the Bible with your head. Read the Bible with your heart. It's when we do one or the other where we get confused and messed up and lost. When we start cherry-picking verses out of the Bible with no context, nine times out of ten, that's because we want to use it as a weapon. And the church has done a lot of that, right? So good translation and application to modern day requires 
good exegesis, historical um, context. Um, This is how we encounter Jesus through the scriptures, right? This is how we encounter Jesus. But we have to make sure, I I said it already, we have to read the Bible with our heads and our hearts. But um, today, though, we're going to look at the same scripture that we've been at for the last two weeks. And uh, you may be tired of it. Tough. (laughs) We're going there again. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13, and here's, here's why. This, this uh, road to Emmaus account and interaction with Jesus, this is a master class on how Jesus speaks. And so there's so much to dive into here. And so today we are going to talk about how to make space to encounter Jesus in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our pain. And I don't know about you, but 2020 kind of sent me licking my wounds a little. Like, I went through a lot in 2020, just personally. And uh, I'm entering into 2023, um, like kind of nervous, if I'm honest, about what's ahead, right? What's going to happen? But here's the thing I know is that God is with me in the midst of my pain, right? And so we're going to talk about that today, how we make space, because we all deal with pain differently, right? The church, our, our, our church, the mission, has experienced several periods of pain in its 10 years, Right, but how we all deal with pain individually is um, is different. But when pain hits, it reminds you of what uh, it, it it reveals if you actually believe what you say you believe. Right, and so there. Uh, just to recap this, Luke. 24 story. Um, Jesus uh, has gone to the cross and he died an agonizing, painful death. Before he went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that Jesus actually was so distraught that he sweat blood. And and Jesus asked the Father if you would take this cup from my lips. Because he knew what was, what was ahead. Jesus knew the pain that he was going to have to go through. So he went to the cross. He died an agonizing death. And so now there are rumors that he is resurrected. Some women are saying to the disciples, hey, we went to the tomb and it was open, but he wasn't there, right? And so uh, the rumors of Jesus' resurrection have been circulating. And uh, so there's these two people 
walking on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. And, uh, and Jesus encounters these two people, but they don't know it's Jesus. They're hidden from recognizing him, the Bible says. And um, so they're discussing what has happened to Jesus, what has happened and, and you know, um, what, uh, what the rumors that are circulating and Jesus kind of comes up alongside them and asks them, like, hey, what are you, what are you discussing? What's going on? And, uh, you know, they were sad and their faces were downcast. And one of them said, you know, um, you know we, on visiting, are, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened to Jesus who was said to be the Messiah, right? And, and, and Jesus very... I always laugh at this part. He's like, what things? What things happen to the Messiah, right? And uh, we'll pick it up at verse 19. So, so it says this. What things, he asked. What, basically, what's happened? And uh, the, the two people say this. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him uh, over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And this is where we're going today, verse 25. So really hone in here. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the, the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized Jesus, right? And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Okay. So think about these two people. We, we, uh, some people say they're disciples. Some people say they're, uh, they're a disciple uh, and a, they're a married couple. Um, we don't know exactly who these two people are, but we know that they have a connection to Jesus, right? And so these people 
are downcast. Their face is downcast. The story says that they are upset. They are sad. They're disappointed. And, and they're encountering this man on the road that they don't realize is Jesus. And he says to them, you know, what has happened? And they explain all the things that just happened to Jesus. And they say, and it's the third day. And he should be here if he was the Messiah, but he's not. He's not here, right? They're in pain. And, and this pain that they're feeling, Jesus is going to point out that it actually reveals if they believe what they say they believe, right? In verse 25, he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That word all, all of the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. That word all, all is a warning not uh, to take scripture selectively, right? We can't just cherry pick things out of scripture, right? It's a warning to, take all, to not take scripture uh, selectively, and because if we take it selectively, if we had taken it selectively, it could have led to the omission of the Messiah has to suffer, which is what Jesus is going to point out next in verse 26. Did the Messiah have to suffer? Did not, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter glory? There are so many prophecies from the prophets about Jesus having the Messiah having to suffer the son of man, right? And he's saying, don't you believe what you say you believe? Don't just cherry pick things out of the Bible, right? That word all, that's a warning, right? And when we try to translate, these people were translating their present circumstances. They were translating the scriptures in their current circumstances as it's the third day and he's not here. So, so what now? Basically, that's, what, that's how they were translating their um, current circumstances. But Christ must suffer but the Christ, the scriptures say that he had to suffer, but that's not the end of it. He must also suffer to enter into his glory, right? Jesus entered into glory by his, through the road of suffering, right? God is not defeated. He triumphed through the suffering of his Christ, Right? Sin was defeated. And so Jesus comes to these people and, and says, don't you believe what the scriptures say? Because it says that the Messiah had to suffer all these things. You should have known all of this is coming, was coming. But here's the thing is, is like, These disciples, these disciples were asking a question, like their pain came 
And they were asking God a question. And the question was, why? Why, Lord? Why are we going through this? Why did Jesus die? Why is he not here now? And here's the thing. When pain hits and we ask why, we may get an answer. Lots of times we don't. Sometimes we get the answer way later. Who's been through something that was extremely painful and you didn't know why you had to go through it until way later? And then you could see. You could see why. These disciples are asking why, but that's the wrong question when pain hits. The right question is where? Where? And I mean, where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? You know, we're, we're, we're ingrained as children to, to ask why, right? Like I had little kid, my boys are like almost as tall as me now, and like they don't do this so much. I can barely get like two words out of them. But when they were little, it was like, why, 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 why? Right? We're ingrained as little kids to ask why. We want to know why. But here's the thing is when, when pain hits, like sometimes as a father, I have to allow my children to go through things that are hard. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I don't care for them and desire to protect them, but I know on the other side of this hard thing, it will be for their good, and they will understand, right? And so I think sometimes when pain hits and we go right to why, sometimes the Lord answers. Often he doesn't. I think a better question to ask when pain hits is, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Because here's the thing. Let's, let's just take the, um, the famous passage, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And like lots, of pe- like lots of people use this passage. Lots of people love this passage. I love it personally. I think sometimes like... It's so a part of church and Christian culture that we're able to just kind of rattle it off and not really think about the depths of its meaning because it's just so familiar to so many people. But Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. For whose name's sake? Mine? His, right? His. Even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Because you're going to pull me out of it, right? No. 
but you may not pull me out of it, but you are with me. Where are you, Lord? I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear, for you are with me. Even uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Does he remove you from the presence of your enemies? No, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake, right? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So many times when we're in the darkest valley, when pain hits, we pray, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. But here's the thing is God doesn't airlift us out of our pain. He parachutes into our suffering with us. He is with us, even through the darkest valley. He comes close like a father who knows their children has, and, and knows that they have to go through something tough for their good, for character development. Right? Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Close to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. Back to Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, God, have equipped me. And you, you are either equipping me currently or you have equipped me to get through this with you. Sometimes the proper question isn't why, because we don't, honestly, we don't always need to know the why if we trust the Father. It's where are you, God? Where are you? Because I know you're here and I need you here. I can't walk through the darkest valley without you, and I don't even want to. So if you're in if you're going through something hard today whether it's a trial or pain in your life mental physical emotional relational I want to just say a couple things to you directly One, sometimes we don't know why we're going through this pain until way later, and God gives us eyes to see, right? So I want to encourage you to not worry so much about the why, 
and, and focus on the where. Lord, I need you. Where are you? Because your word says you're with me, and I need you, right? I also want you, it's easy when you're going through pain for a long time to say, well, I prayed three times, and he didn't answer, so he probably is just not listening or busy or, or something. I want you to keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop. Be persistent. And this, this one is key, okay? If you are in the midst of pain, it is not the time to isolate. It is not the time to isolate. I know for myself, that's counterintuitive. When I feel pain, especially uh, in relationship or, you know, um, I don't know, all kinds of different pain, I, I want to isolate. I want to get alone. I want to just be quiet. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I just want to be uh, alone with my feelings. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my album later. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a singer-songwriter album, Alone With My Feelings. Um, <laughs> but when you're in pain, it's never, I mean, it's never good to isolate. But when you're in pain, specifically, I don't know why it keeps doing that. Sorry, guys. Um, when you're in pain specifically is not, not the time to isolate. Because I believe personally that isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools. Because it gets us alone. He's more able to get into our thoughts. We have nobody speaking into our life but ourselves, right? Isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools. And do not disregard that there is an enemy. I would encourage you to open up in community. Open up about your pain in community. And I'm not talking about like coming up in front of the church and telling everybody your business. Like, like when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, like Jesus had 12 disciples, right? But when he was in pain, when he was so distraught, he was sweating blood, he came to the three and asked him to go to the garden with him and keep watch, right? Who are your three? It doesn't have to be three. It can be one, it can be two, but who are they? Open up to people that will keep watch with you in your pain and in prayer, because sometimes the pain gets so hard to deal with, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. Eventually, sometimes you run out of words. And if you don't have people keeping watch with you, that's dangerous, because they can, they can pray and use words when you run out of words to pray, right? They can keep watch with you. Who is your three And here's where I want to land today is lots of times we don't understand why we're going through the pain until way later. And you know what? 
the pain that we've been through enables us to help others who are going through it now, right? Second Corinthians verses 1, 3, and 4 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. When we receive comfort from God, we can help others who need comfort from God. Our pain enables us to help others who are going through the same thing. And as, our, and, and as brothers and sisters in Jesus, it's our duty. It is our duty. I just feel like the Lord is really, like he really wants to do some things in your guys' lives regarding your pain. I just, I just feel it in my spirit. And I don't know if we need to open up for a time of, of just like corporate prayer right now or, or what, but I just feel like the Lord wants to do something. And I realize like Lots of TV evangelists have said that, you know, and there's like a, sometimes a lack of trust or like an icky feeling when people say that. I promise you I have no agenda other than I want to see the Lord move in your life if he wants to right now. And so I'm going to read these last couple of scriptures and then I'm going to invite the I'm going to invite the team to come now. Um, and uh, I'm just going to open it up for prayer right now. Um, Abby and the team will just play real quietly, and we're going to have a time of corporate prayer right now. And so if you, if you need prayer, just either, I'm going to need my leadership team as well, anybody on the leadership team who's willing to pray for people, um, just, just come up here to the front and, and, we'll, and stand, and we'll, we'll come around you and we'll pray. Um, but here's, here's the thing, is that um, Jesus said to the couple, the, the, the two people on the road to Emmaus, he said, did not, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus wants to reveal his glory in you. He wants to reveal his glory in you. And the, the fact that you are going through pain right now does not diminish that. And, and, and that's actually a process of Jesus' glory being revealed in, in you. Romans 8, 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus' glory, right? And I want to promise you that there will be a time when there is no more pain. There will be no more pain. 
There will be no more tears when Jesus returns to the earth and he is coming. Revelation 21.4 says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I can't wait for that day, guys. But when pain strikes, I want to make space now to encounter Jesus, for Jesus' glory to be revealed in me. I don't need to know the why. I just need to know that you're with me. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.